0: When I was in high school, um, there was sort of a division between two big groups of people in our school, and these two groups just didn't get along very well. They didn't see eye to eye on very many things, and you, you didn't have friends in this other group. It was the football team and the marching band, and uh, they just, just didn't get along. They had different priorities, different things that mattered to them. And you can probably tell which side I was on i 'm not built like a linebacker i 'm built like a trombone player. So uh, where are my band people at? Yeah, you you can be proud it's okay. there Thank you. Gosh, still shy after all these years. okay. Uh, I, so marching band people and football people fought mainly over one major issue, which was the football field, the use of the field. We didn't have all these auxiliary fields and different places we could go, if you weren't on the football field, you weren't, you weren't able to practice whatever it is you were doing, and so we fought over the field. The football players thought that they should have the field because for some reason it was called a football field, which we thought it should have been renamed the marching band field because the marching band was actually good at what we did, <laughs> so we, we traveled all over the eastern United States, won many uh, regional and national awards, we were really good, The whole time I was in high school, our football team never had a winning season. Five years, not one winning season. And some of you are with me. All right, okay, good. So we thought, hey, we're actually good at this. We should have the field. And there were a few times when we actually won that battle and uh, the football team got kicked off so that we could practice for an upcoming competition. And they hated us for it. I mean, hated us for it, you know. Because we're, they, you know, it was just two different groups of people, and you just didn't cross over. And we were defined by that difference, right? Do you, do you see that happening in your world? Are there groups of people where you know we are defined by the difference between us? I'll show you some examples. i got an image on the screen. These are two groups of people that just don't mix, right? Cubs fans, Cardinals fans. I worry about this marriage. I'm not... I'm not too sure for them what's going to happen. But those, those two people are defined by their differences, right? The next one, you're, th- I've, we've had arguments in our home over this one. And sometimes you, I know some of you will choose which restaurant you go to based on whether they serve Coke or Pepsi, right? You're crazy, but you do it. I've seen you do it, right? Second one, third one, Ford versus Chevy. Who's a Ford? Who's a Ford person? Chevy, where you at? I'm sorry, but Chevy makes a Corvette, so I'm, I got to be a Chevy person. But you, some of you have had one of each. May, you have a reason why you're devoted one way or the other, but, but we, we define ourselves by these differences. Last one. <laughs> what? Did we touch a nerve here? What just happened? These are two groups of people that are defined by what makes them different. Why do we do this? And is it okay? Isn't there some part of you that feels like this is not okay? This doesn't really sit well. That I, I look at different groups of people and I say, well, you're like this and I'm like this. Therefore, we're, we're separate from each other. We can't, we can't be together. We can't work together. I don't, maybe, maybe I don't even want to be your friend with this one. You, I know people and you're in this room that if the first thing you found out about someone that you met was that they were loyal to the opposite party, what, what are your thoughts? Immediately, you're thinking, I'm, we're not hanging out. We're not gonna, I don't want your phone number. We're not going to be friends. Like, we, why do we do this? There's something inside us that causes this to happen, but I think that what we're going to find is that our faith and following Jesus will push against this tendency in us. When Peter is writing this letter uh, that we're, we started in last week we're going to continue in this week, uh, he is talking to a group of people who live in a culture that is hostile to their faith. These are people who have said, we're on Team Jesus. Jesus is at the center of our lives. Jesus is going to dictate what we think, what we say, what we do. And we live in a culture where no one else thinks that that matters. People don't even believe that Jesus is alive. They don't center their lives around him. How how do we live in this culture? So last week we talked about one of the ways that Peter gives us to live and engage in this culture is to embrace our strangeness. He tells them to be holy, which we understand holy doesn't mean moral perfection, like always doing good and never doing bad. Holiness means set apart for a specific purpose, set apart for worship to God. That's what holiness means. And, and in a culture that doesn't believe in or follow Jesus, holiness looks really strange. It feels strange, foreign. Peter said, embrace your strangeness, be strange in this culture. And today he's gonna to pick up in chapter two and we're gonna carry this further. He, he starts chapter two just as, a, a, as he's wrapping up chapter one talking about how we should love each other. He starts chapter two by saying, okay, now just don't, don't be mean to each other. There shouldn't be malice or slander or envy or uh, hypocrisy in the church. Just knock that off. That's not who you are. And then he's gonna tell them who they are, but he's gonna back up first and tell them who Jesus is. He says, if you're followers of Jesus, then who you are... Is built on who Jesus is. So he spends a few verses talking about who Jesus is, and he says, Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone. He didn't get this he didn't make this idea up, he got it from the old Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the, the piece of the building that makes everything else work. It makes everything else make sense. And if you take the cornerstone out, the whole thing falls down. That's Jesus. Your whole faith, everything that you do as a follower of Christ is built on the truth that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead. Jesus is your cornerstone. And you, he says, you are like living stones. You're being built up into a spiritual house. You are built on the cornerstone of Jesus. So then we're going to pick up in verse 9 where Peter begins to tell these people who they are and why it matters in their culture that's hostile to their faith. So let's look at verse uh, 9, 1 Peter 2. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's going to tell these believers, this is who you are. So I believe that the word of God is, is just as applicable today as it was then. And so if he's talking to believers 2,000 years ago, he's saying the same thing to you and to me. So listen to this. This is who you are. Personalize this, internalize it. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Do you feel like that describes the church today? What is a chosen race? We know what a race is. He's not talking about a, a, a pre-existing race like, you know, white or African-American or Mexican or anything like that. He's talking about there's a brand new race that was created when God invited people into a relationship with him through Christ. We call them Christians. You're, you're a chosen race. You're a brand new race of people that crosses all lines of, of language and color and background. You're a brand new race of people. And then he says that you are a royal priesthood. What does royal mean? Royal means your dad is a king. That's what royal means. Your your dad's the king. And and as a son or daughter of the king, you, you are royalty. And you should live like it, own that. But you are a royal priesthood. What do priests do? In any belief system on the planet, priests are the ones who connect people to God. And so Peter says, you, you're, you're royal, your father is the king, but your job is to connect other people to your father, the king. That's your job. You're, you're kind of in this middle place where you're, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And you get a chance to show people who God is. And then he calls them a holy nation, a holy nation. A nation is a group of people who live in a certain geographic area and they've decided to be governed in a certain way, right? Right? We are a holy nation, which we, we know what holy means, right? Holy means strange. We are a strange nation because our geography, the thing that defines us is not a physical geography. It's a spiritual geography. It's the kingdom of God. So wherever the kingdom of God rules and reigns, that's our territory spiritually. And we've decided to be governed a certain way, and that is Jesus is in charge. This is his nation. You are a royal priesthood, and you are a strange holy nation. Why? Why did God do all this? Why did he make you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you can show by the way that you live who God is and what he's done for everyone. That's who you are and that is what you're supposed to do. All right, let's finish out uh, these next few verses here. Let's uh, pick up in verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He says, you're strangers in this world, you're foreigners in this world. And because of that, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let's focus in on this one phrase really quick. He tells them to keep their conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This is very important. How you act in relationship with these people who are hostile to your faith matters. So he's not just talking about all Gentiles as in a Gentile is just a non-Jew. He's he would look at this group of people who some are Jews and some are Gentiles, but they're all followers of Jesus. And he was like, your Jewishness or Gentileness is not the thing that defines you anymore. You're now defined as a, a Christ follower. That's who you are. You're a chosen race. So what we're talking about with Gentiles is those who are not followers of Christ. And he says, these people, you need to treat them with honor. What does it mean to treat somebody with honor? It means that we recognize and call out the dignity and value of every human being. We recognize and call out the dignity and value of every human being. So Peter says, as you live in this culture that's hostile to your faith, these people that don't think like you, don't do what you do, don't speak how you speak, you are to call out their dignity and value in the way that you treat them. If I'm a first century Christian living in one of these places where it's difficult to follow Jesus, I've got some questions for Peter at this point. Peter, don't you understand that what's important to us is not what's important to them? We have completely different priorities. The principles that drive our lives, the things that we're after in life are very different. Peter, don't you understand these people are not like us? Peter, don't you understand that a lot of these people do not even like us? They don't want to be around us. They don't want us in their businesses. They don't want us in their neighborhoods. Peter, don't you understand that a lot of these people actually hate us? They, they actually would be glad if we were to suffer. They, it would make them happy if we lost everything. It might even make them happy if we lost our own lives. Peter, don't you get that these people are not for us? They are against us. Where in the world, Peter, would you get the idea that we have to call out the dignity and value of these people. Where would Peter get that? Well, a few years before, Jesus preached a sermon, and Peter was sitting on the front row for this sermon. And in this sermon, Jesus said, Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So where did Peter get this idea? Well, Jesus said it, and then Peter saw him do it. Because when Jesus was on the cross he looked at these men who had put the nails in his hands and he said, Father, would you you forgive them? So Jesus said it and then he did it and Peter said, that's enough for me. I'm I'm in. If Jesus commands it and then he shows me how to do it, I'm in. We're supposed to love our enemies. That's where Peter got this idea. So how are we supposed to do this? These, These Christians have some legitimate questions. Peter, why... Why should we be able to call out the dignity and value of people who are different from us, who don't like us, who are actually against us? Let's back up to verse 10. This is why. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. He says, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says the only thing separating you from anyone else on the planet is Jesus. You've put your trust in Christ. That's the only, that's the only difference between you and anyone else. We have this thing inside of us, and I, I, think it's, I think it's natural, I think it's part of how we're designed, that we differentiate ourselves from other people by acknowledging what is different about us. Ourself looks at others and says, you are not the same as me. You are not the same as me. That's how I know who I am and who you are, because I look at us and I see our differences. Well, I'm this and you're that, therefore, we're not the same. And that's how we sort of identify ourselves and how we identify other people as we look at the differences. And often, because we have this thing in us also that is kind of a prideful, we want to defend ourselves, we want to elevate ourselves. Whenever we see the differences in other people, we tend to attach a negative value to it. Because you are this and I am that, then maybe I'm more valuable than you. We probably wouldn't say it that way. We would say, I'm just probably smarter. I'm better informed. I'm more, I have more wisdom. I have more experience. I'm I'm just a nicer person. Like we, we point out these differences and we attach value to them. I think this, this need to differentiate ourselves is very normal and very natural. We, we are different from people, but when we begin to attach value to our differences, that's where we cross the line. And say, because you're different from me, you are somehow less than me. The gospel gives a very different message, doesn't it? The gospel says, you know what? Actually, you're all the same. You're, you're all the same. Paul wrote in Romans that for... Some people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, there are some people out. Let's let's be real. The left coasters, the New Englanders. Some people have sinned and fallen short of the glory. The Packers fans. Some people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that? Am I misquoting that? What does it say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All. You. The person sitting next to you. Your neighbor that person that drives three miles an hour under the speed limit in front of you, and you, you're pretty sure you could push them along if you can get close enough, that that person, the politicians that you like, the politicians that you don't like, the news broadcasters that you like, and the ones that you just won't even turn on that channel, you're all the same. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think we struggle with this. I think we really have some, I'm going to use the word prejudice only once because most of us recoil at that word. We're like, nope, that's not me. I I don't, that's, I don't have that. So instead I'm going to say the word bias, but here's what I want you intelligent people to know. When I say bias, I mean the other thing. Okay. So just pay attention because we, we can't admit the other thing. We can't admit it, but maybe we can admit to a little bias. So let's do a bias test. I'm going to put some images on the screen in just a minute. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just feel the first thing you're gonna feel when you see this person or this type of person. What do you feel when you see this type of person? If you were to run into them on the street, if they knocked on your door for Thanksgiving dinner, what would you feel? And then I just want you to be aware of that feeling, your gut reaction. All right, ready? Here we go. First image. What do you feel? What do you think? What's the first thing happening in your heart? Next one. What do you feel? Next. 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 One more. What's your gut reaction? Are you closer now to being ready to admit that maybe you have a bias in there somewhere that says people like that, I don't know, we're different, and I probably just think I'm better in some way. Or we, we may look at some people and say we're different, and they're they're better, you know? They're so smart and so successful and they're better than me. It's easy to begin to weigh those differences and assign value to them. And I think that one of the things that is supposed to make Christianity different and strange and foreigners in our culture is that we refuse to assign value to people based on what we see on the outside. And we are committed To seeing every person as someone who's created in the image of God with infinite dignity and worth. That is gonna look strange in the world that we live in, isn't it? Is Is that how the church shows up in our culture? Is that how you show up on social media and in your workplace and in your school and in your neighborhood? We're the same. We're all the same. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And this is what we're called to. Let our conduct be honorable. So that even though they might speak against us as evildoers, one day they're going to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew chapter 5. He told his disciples to let your light shine before men so they'll see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Your job is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So how do we do that? I want to give us just three simple, practical ways that we can begin to shift, to act in spite of our biases, and that we can love people um, who are different from us, that we can love strangers. So first, we need to uh, recognize that because God loves me, I love strangers. Because God loves you, love strangers this is actually where we start. If we're looking for a reason to love strangers, this is where we start. 1 John four nineteen says this, we love because he first loved us. We love not because they deserve it, not because they're nice to us, not because they look like us or talk like us or think like us. We love not because of anything that anyone else did. We love because God loves us. That's it. That's where we start. We don't need any other reason, just that. We love because God loves us. I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He says that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Do you have an enemy? Is there someone who's against you? What's your best chance here? Love. A love that says I will do what's best for you as God defines best even if it costs me. That's how God loved me. The second thing is, we, the way that God loves you, love strangers. Because God loves you, love strangers, and the way that God loves you, love strangers. What have you done to deserve God's love? Are you just naturally a good enough person that God's kind of looking at you going, man, wow, Josh is just amazing. Never done anything wrong, honored me in every thought, every word, every action, I love that guy. Is that how it works? Nope. Josh is a pretty good guy, but nobody's that good, right? That's not how it works. God doesn't love you because you deserve it. You didn't earn it. You don't appreciate it all the time, do you? Do do you daily acknowledge how much God loves you and how much you don't deserve it? and Do you appreciate what it cost him to love you this way? When God looked at you and said, I'm going to do what's best for you, even if it costs me, what did it cost him? The life of his son. Do Do we appreciate that? No, I think what we want to do is we want to say, like, I need to like someone before I can love them. Doesn't it feel that way? Like, I have to make myself like them somehow. Like, I have to conjure up these warm, fuzzy feelings towards this person if I'm going to act on their behalf. And... That's where we stop because I can't make myself feel warm, fuzzy feelings to somebody that's really annoying to me or unkind to me or against me in some way or against my kids in some way. Oh, that's the tough one, isn't it? Somebody's against your kids. You're like, nope, I'm out. No, thank you. I can't make myself feel a certain way, but the way that God defines love and the way that that God loves you, it's not about a feeling. It's about an action, what he did for you. And so what we do for others it doesn't have to start with a warm fuzzy feeling. It starts with a commitment to say, "Because God loves me, and the way that God loves me, I will love you." And I think what we often find is when we get those actions rolling, the feelings will come. It'll happen. But we got to start by being committed to acting with love toward others, regardless of how we feel. That's that's love. And finally, what God has done for you, do for strangers. And what God did for you was he opened a door to a relationship. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy and grace and forgiveness and redemption and freedom and eternal life. Because God opened a door through his son Jesus. And we get a chance to stand in that doorway... And proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. And we get to look at people who are in darkness and say, hey, we're the same. We're the same. I'm in darkness without Jesus too. But hey, let me show you how awesome Jesus is and what he's done for me. If I could just show you through my love, then maybe you could see and maybe you could experience this love too. I think we know how to close doors to relationships, don't we? We know how to cut people out, toxic people, People who are not helpful, people who don't support us. We know how to do that. But do we know how to open doors for people? And are there certain people that you would just hesitate to open a door for? If they showed up and knocked and you looked through the little peephole or you've got your, what is it called, nest thing or whatever it is, and you can see them through the camera and you're like, I'm not home. Nobody's home. (laughs) Not opening the door. I think we put people in that category, but because God loves you, you can love strangers. The way that God loves you, you can love strangers. And what God did for you, you can absolutely do for other people. You can open a door into a relationship with him. You can open a door for people that you don't even trust. Did you know that? It's possible. You can open a door for people who look different than you, different skin color, different language, different age group, You can open a door for people who think differently than you, who vote differently than you, who are very open about their political affiliations, and they're very different from you. Did you know that you can love those people? Did you know that you're actually the same? You're all sinners in need of a savior. You're not that different. And you can love them. You can love people who seem less intelligent than you. You can love people who don't seem to work as hard as you. You can love people that Don't fit in with your crowd. They're just not your type of people. You can love them. Because once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who you are. You are a chosen race. Listen, church, you are a royal priesthood. Your daddy's a king, and your job is to connect people to him. You are a holy priesthood strange, weird, foreign nation in this culture. And it's your job, it's your privilege to love strangers, to love people who are not like you. I've I've told many of you um, stories about our friend Chad Renberg, who is a missionary in Louisville, Kentucky. And some of you think, missionary in Louisville? I thought missionaries went to foreign cultures. Well, if you ever went to the neighborhood where Chad lives, you would know. It's a foreign culture from where you live. Uh, A lot of our students have been there. Um, Justin and Katie take our students down there every summer, some middle schoolers, uh, to go and visit Chad. About 10 years ago, Chad was the middle school pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, fourth largest church in the country. He was the middle school pastor. They did a service project on the west side of Louisville. And when Chad saw what that neighborhood was like, he was heartbroken. And he went back home, and what many of us would have done, he started with, he prayed that God would send somebody to go and minister to that neighborhood. And then he kind of woke up to the reality that God was saying, how about you? So he quit his job at the fourth largest church in the country, and he moved into the west side of Louisville to the worst neighborhood on the worst street. This giant white dude and his wife and four kids And he just began to love people. Do you think everybody in the neighborhood was happy to see him? Do you think he fit in? Do you think people noticed when Chad walked down the street? Absolutely. There's the white guy that moved into our neighborhood for no understandable reason. What's up with him? But they found out really quickly he just loves people. He's really good at it. And he's always declaring the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. He's telling people about Jesus all the time. It has been a difficult road for Chad and his family. A couple years ago, his family was in the back of their home, which was a miracle of grace, as bullets came flying through their front window. They ran to the basement, waited it out. They were fine. No one was hurt. New glass and some drywall touch-up. At that point, are you thinking about moving? Because I am. (laughs) He stayed. Earlier this year in January, his home was broken into, and anything of value that they had, which wasn't much, was taken. Probably by a neighbor who knew that they usually leave their back door open. At this point, you're, you're thinking, why are we still here? Why are we trying to raise our kids here? It's an easy answer for Chad. He just loves these people. And he believes that God can use them, his family, to connect other people to Jesus. And he's seen it happen over and over again. He's baptized many of his neighbors and friends in this community into Christ. And he's seen these people go on and become disciple makers who are baptizing their friends and neighbors into Christ. Because he decided, it doesn't matter if they look different from me. It doesn't matter if they were raised differently from me. It doesn't matter if they think differently, vote differently, speak differently. God loves them. And God help me, so do I. That's what we're called to. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the people in this world that are hostile to your faith. Call out their dignity and value because that's going to give you a chance to show them the love of God. We need to pray about that, don't we? Would you stand? I, I just want you to take a moment and wrestle with your biases. Okay? I know it's really hard to admit that we have them, but I think if most of us are honest, we recognize that they're in there somewhere. Would you ask the Holy Spirit this morning to reveal your biases to you? And would you ask for the courage and the faith to love people who are different from you, to love strangers, to love people that you have a natural bias against? Would you ask God to help you love those people? And this is a really dangerous prayer because if you ask God to help you love people that are different from you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to put someone in your path today or tomorrow or Wednesday or Friday that normally you would avoid. And then he's going to say, now's your chance. Are you ready for that? That's the kind of love that changes communities, ultimately changes the world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would reveal my biases to me. That I would admit it, even even though it's hard to admit, that there are some people I look at and my, my first inclination is to turn the other way. Would you convict me of that? God, would you put people in my path this week that I can love? Not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, but because you loved me. And God, may you use me. May you use my brothers and sisters here to open doors for people, to be called out of darkness into light, to receive mercy and grace through Christ. Would you use us? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.